0: Welcome to the weekly Web Foot Review. We're excited about the Vegas Bowl, baby. The podcast that keeps you fresh with the latest happenings in the world of Oregon Ducks athletics. Oregon remains an extremely powerful national brand. Freddie and Luke, all the guys going back. Aaron, they've all had a big, big part of this. Now, here's your host. Our guys have done well in our approach, which is win the day. Jordan Schultz. What is up, Duck fans? Episode 10 is here. This is the weekly web foot review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you, and I am getting even more and more excited as the weeks pass. Slowly but surely, we're making our way through summer and getting closer to the start of 2019 football. That's right. We are, what, maybe 50 days out now? Yeah, NFL training camp is starting up around this time. The Hall of Fame game in just a couple of weeks just over a couple of weeks heck pac 12 media day coming up soon on july 24th i am stoked to see how excited mario cristobal is about coaching this year's team compared to last there is just a ton happening right now and you can bet i'll be in your ear throughout the summer updating you on all that is oregon football and basketball hit me up on twitter on the air jordan with an o If you got any questions or ideas for topics regarding the Oregon Ducks, also, you can download the show from Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Be sure to give the show a five-star rating if you like it. Uh, Algorithms really appreciate that. Bump us up into the recommended podcasts and whatnot. So really lots to break down this week. We're going to start with more good news in basketball, both for the Lady Ducks and the men's basketball team. I feel like I've said that almost every single week of this podcast, but what do you want me to do? Lie of you fans, things are going great for him and I'll get you up to speed with the latest good news coming up. So Dana Altman officially extending an offer to somebody as well, an elite shooting guard for the 2020 class, and we'll also take a look at how a couple of former ducks are doing in the NBA summer league. One of them has really opened some eyes for his team. I really got to eat some crow on that one. Actually, there is a ton of football news to get to this week. ESPN has released the first version of their 2019 football power index uh, ranking teams, uh, actually releasing a top 10 ranking as well as game by game projections. So we'll dive into what that says about Oregon season coming up. And A Ducks fan has started a petition online regarding the team. I'll tell you why. As always, of course, we wrap up the show with This Week in Ducks History. The Oregon Athletics Hall of Fame class of 2019 was announced in the past couple of weeks, and I wanted to take a look at the accomplishments of the people going in. It's a full list and definitely a full show, so let's get right to it. During the last edition of the weekly Webfoot review, we mentioned that Lady Ducks coach Kelly Graves, he was bringing in two more five-star recruits to visit Eugene. Now we still don't have any news about Lauren Ware. Uh, she is the one that wants to play volleyball and basketball in college. And I'm sure that working that out with schools, whoever she's talking to is delaying her decision, obviously, other than Oregon. But over the weekend... Oregon fans got the good news that six foot seven Sedona Prince would be transferring from Texas to play for the ducks. Get this. She chose the ducks over two very elite programs, Notre Dame and Yukon. She was the number eight overall prospect for the class of 2018, but broke her leg while playing for team USA. If you hadn't heard before she ever got to play a game for the Longhorns. She's pretty dang good, too. I mean, as a senior at uh, Liberty Hill in Texas, she averaged 22 points, eight boards a game, a McDonald's all american Sedona Prince, of course, sitting out the 2019-2020 season, though, and will return to the floor in 2020-21. She's going to join that star-studded recruiting class that we've been highlighting quite frequently, Kylie Watson, Angela Dugalich, Sidney Parrish, Maddie Schur, and Tahina Pow Pow. That makes six five star recruits coming in for next season. The rise of the lady ducks has happened fans and they are flying higher than they ever have before. Their rise has come so fast and Prince's choice over the sports, two more recognizable brands, especially for ladies basketball who also wanted her so badly just cements that the ducks are here to stay in the national conversation not only are they near unanimous preseason favorites to win it all in the 2019-2020 season, but they are a top destination for athletes around the country now. So fans, I really, I've got a question and I want you to answer if you wanted to hit me up on Twitter with this. When do you think the Lady Ducks will win a championship? This year or next? On the air, Jordan with an O, hit me up on Twitter. Let me know what you think. It's kind of a hard choice. I mean, you still got Sabrina Unescu, sticking around. Uh, but even after Sabrina and Ruthie Hebert finished their Oregon careers, the ducks with those six recruits, five stars are going to have eight five-star talents for 2020, 2021. That year is going to be uh, basically senior seasons for Aaron Boley and Satu Sabali along with Prince to go with the entire incoming class that I'm just talking about. I mean, I, I try not to get too hung up on four or five stars, but This roster and how complete it looks post Inescu era is awesome. They've recruited a lot of guards and around that position a lot. So that addition of Sedona Prince means that much more for their team going forward and will probably help bring in a lot of bigger players for Oregon in the post going forward. Still got a ways to go even until the 2019-2020 season starts and Still more reasons every single week to get stoked about Kelly Graves and his team down in Eugene. So not as much going on on the Lady Duck side, but a ton going on for men's basketball. So we have been waiting on word about a late transfer, Shakur Dweiston, six foot seven forward from UNLV. He officially, in the last couple of days, has committed to come play Oregon basketball. A huge, another big grab for Dana Altman of the Oregon ducks, really trying to retool this roster on the fly, getting a lot of work done earlier in the offseason. that surprise edition of three-star forward. Loke were uh, a couple of weeks ago, really making that kind of seeming almost, it was rounding out the recruiting session for Dana Altman, but now they were still waiting on Shakur. We have heard that he will be coming to play in Eugene as well. Um, it seems to be transferring because of an injury situation. Last season, he only played in eight games, had a lingering injury, uh, averaged about 11 points and nine rebounds in limited action, though. So good. Anyways, in the year before 15 points, 10 rebounds. So he's going to come in immediately and going to be competing at uh, power forward or center, a position that Oregon has really needed to fill up. This offseason, and I am so excited to see just already with Eugene Marulli coming in as well, that combination and seeing Loke were coming in as maybe a longer guy with a bigger wingspan kind of reminds me of Nick Batum at this point in his career. I am just beyond surprised where Oregon basketball is right now. You know, this Ducks team looks really interesting now, and they're actually projected to be a top 10 contender. So looking at the 2019, 2020 Oregon's men's basketball team, it's going to be pretty exciting. This recent addition and Shakur Dweaston kind of now thinking to be rounding out Dana Altman's recruiting for this off season. I am looking forward to see what they do. It's going to be maybe an interesting first couple of months to try and mesh and get a little bit on the same page with, with each other. I understand that Anthony Mathis has played with Peyton Pritchard. And it'll be good that those guys have had experience from high school playing together, but a lot of guys lining up like that. I I know there's a lot of one and done's in college basketball, but it is going to take them some time to get on the same page, but now looking to be projected to be a top 10 team competing for an NCAA championship going into the tourney next season. That is exciting. And Dana Altman really surprising a lot of fans with what he can do. And I know that People are going to be watching not only ladies' ducks this year, but men's basketball, football. Every single one of those sports is going to be competing for a championship. And Dana Altman, obviously, having to look forward to 2020 as well. I mentioned they have offered somebody, an elite shooting guard, a scholarship. That is shooting guard Moses Moody, six foot five from Arkansas. I mean, just add this to his list Oregon is his 17th offer. Pretty good kid though. He's ranked as the 39th best player in the country. So, you know, these elite kind of players, Dana Altman, really trying to go after them, regardless of if they're sought after by everybody else, the, the type of basketball that Oregon plays in the facilities and the elite program that they are now, he expects that these guys that have a lot of options that they will choose Oregon and they have in the past. So he's the 39th best player and the eighth best shooting guard overall, the fifth best player coming out of the state of Arkansas. Uh, His current comparison is said to be to an Alan Crabb type of player from the NBA. So really a shooter and maybe a little bit of defense with that. So Dana Altman really hoping he can add a bit of a scoring punch to next year's team sooner rather than later. So maybe he doesn't end up in the same situation as this year. He knows what he's working with. I'm sure he's working hard to avoid that same situation flying by the seat of his pants. I mean, despite being so excited and surprising, I really don't think that it's good for your blood pressure year to year trying to do that. Having a plan is good and he's damn good at working with what he's got, but he's also really trying to set a foundation going forward. And he tried to do that this year, uh, but so many guys that really weren't projected to leave tailed out of Eugene said, bye, you know, we still love him. And actually I did want to spend some time highlighting a couple of those guys. They've been busy playing in the NBA summer league. So let's take a look at how they're doing since leaving Oregon. Uh, First, it is worth mentioning that Bull Bull, who ended up going number 44 overall to the Denver Nuggets, is not playing in the summer league. That was expected, though, since the recovery from his broken foot raised questions about whether he may be fully healed at this point or not. There are also rumblings that scouts believe that he needs to get a bit stronger before he gets into game action. So we're going to unfortunately have to wait until preseason basketball with the Nuggets to see Bull Bull take the court in the NBA. The two other ducks from this year's draft pool have played a bit though. Lewis King, he signed a two-way contract with the Pistons after going undrafted, getting pushed down the board like Bull Bull, has looked very mediocre in his four games for the summer league really hasn't been able to find his shooting touch going four of 15 from the field. He did average a steal a game and got one exciting block against team Croatia last week. That was really the highlight of his action though. This is a very limited sample size. Let's point that out. I mean, if you really look at the stat sheet, he only played 12 minutes a game, so it's not that much of I mean, what do you, what do you want to do in five or 10 minutes? E- even though he was looking at the per game minutes given to every single guy, he was about the eighth or ninth man on the team. So the fourth guy off the bench, pretty much every game, I understand you're trying to distribute, but 12 minutes a game is hard to show your team. It's just not a lot of time to be able to do something with. I will say the other duck, Kenny Wooten, that we're going to talk about has been able to do something with his limited time. So there is an argument for the other side of that as well. So Lewis King, you know, signing that two-way contract already. I'm sure the Pistons are waiting for him to develop a bit more down in the G League this year. I'm surprised he hasn't shot better though. I mean, it's all new for him. So maybe dropping so far in the NBA draft got in his head. Maybe he's just having an off couple of weeks. Uh, Remember Nicholas Batum during his first summer league for the Portland Trailblazers? Bluntly, he played pretty damn terribly. I remember him putting up a lot of shots and he could not hit one to save his life and didn't necessarily look like he knew what he was doing or where he was supposed to be at all times on the court. But his explosion onto the scene in the NBA really happened during the season and it proved everyone who thought that he wasn't Ready very, very wrong, including myself. So let's hope that lewis King will step it up going forward, take that time that he's going to get down in the G League to develop and really show something to the Detroit Pistons. Uh the last duck from the draft pool, mentioning him just a second ago, is Kenny Wooten. He also wasn't drafted, but signed a summer league contract with the New York Knicks. So not a two-way contract, not guaranteed a spot in training camp with any team coming in trying to fight for a spot with the Knicks or show the rest of the teams in the NBA enough to grab a training camp spot with them. Kenny could be an interesting fit in New York though. And the New York post actually did quite a feature on him during his summer league play. And they mentioned head coach Dave Fizdale saying after their regular season ended that the team would be targeting a lot more defensive minded players. And if you watched any Oregon basketball this year, you know, Wooten fits that bill. He's been compared a lot with Jordan Bell. He's got a lot of athleticism, his ability to put up highlight level block shots, flying dunks. Kenny has stepped up and flat out balled for the Knicks and silencing the haters, including myself. He has had a great summer league with a couple of big moments in his final summer league game, grabbing five rebounds, blocked two shots. And that was in just 12 minutes. So there was one two-minute stretch uh, during that game. He blocked a shot, then grabbed a put-back dunk, and drew an and one. Then on the other side of the court, went back, hustled, and drew a charge. <laughs> then apparently a couple of minutes after that, he had a chase-down block. Almost the same amount of time per game that Lewis King had in Detroit, but Kenny Wooten has maximized every second he's had on the court. So according to the New York Post, he's likely to get an invite to training camp. They went so far as to call him the next undrafted steal. So I guess I have to eat crow regarding Kenny Wooten. He's really turned it on when he's needed to. And his risk has really paid off so far with what's looking like a real chance to make the Knicks roster in October. Seems like they really like him so far. So good for Kenny. I'm really happy to see the impact he's made in the short time that he's gotten to play in the summer league. All right, we're going to switch gears to Ducks football coming up. I mean, there's almost too much to get to for this edition of the weekly Webfoot review. ESPN releasing odds for every Oregon game this season. So we're going to look at how far their prognosticators think the Ducks will go. Also, ESPN releasing their FPI rankings and the Ducks are pretty high up there. And why did a fan start a petition? I'll tell you what they want to change about the Ducks football team and why. That's next on the Weekly Webfoot Review. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you for SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. This is the Weekly Webfoot Review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you. We've been talking a lot of Ducks basketball so far. The highlight this week, Shakur Jouston, six foot seven power forward from UNLV, committing to the Oregon Ducks, basically coming in Probably going to start immediately at the power forward position and good news sedona prince committing to the lady ducks as well but we gotta transition over to the gridiron we are inching closer and closer to the start of football season about 50 days out now and this is the time of year where all the early prediction and projection lists start to flood the news espn did not disappoint they have released their first version of the 2019 football power index that they do as well as game by game projections. So we're going to take a deep dive into both of those lists and see where Oregon stacks up. You know, the thing that sticks out to me the most while looking at these on the surface is that even though ESPN is putting the ducks up so high to start the year, they're having trouble predicting exactly where Oregon's going to finish I mean, like me, a lot of prognosticators believe that if Oregon plays to the level they're supposed to, they're going to be competing in the college football playoff. There is a lot to like about them. We've been talking about it a lot. Justin Herbert, a Heisman Trophy candidate. The only offensive starter that didn't come back to Oregon is Dylan Mitchell, and he was replaced by stud transfer Jawan Johnson at wide receiver. The only real significant losses from the D were Ugo Amani and Jalen Jelks. But the young kids coming in, like Kayvon Thibodeau, fill those gaps up pretty nicely. So according to ESPN's FPI, the Ducks debut as the number 10 ranked team in the country. Uh, the highest ranked Pac-12 team in this year's preseason version of the rankings, actually. Overall, five Pac-12 teams cracked the top 25 of the FPI. Washington at number 17, I'm a little surprised at this one. UCLA at number 20, Chip Kelly, really going to turn them around that fast. Okay. Uh, Utah at number 22 and Clay Helton in USC at number 25, uh, others in the top 10 Oregon's week one opponent, Auburn listed as number nine, right ahead of Oregon in the rankings. Also rounding out the rest of the list. Number seven at Notre Dame, Oklahoma's at six, Michigan's at five, LSU four, Georgia three, Alabama two, and Clemson one. Sounds about right. Makes a lot of sense. Although Oregon being just below Auburn, it's going to be a hell of a matchup to start the season, I guess ESPN, not really even sure who's going to be who at this point in the game by game projections. The 2019 preseason FBI places Oregon's projected win loss total at nine seven wins and 2.3 losses with a 2% chance of winning all regular season games, all 12 and the conference title and a 35% chance of winning the pac 12 North and the pac 12 championship game. So ESPN in their previously released 2019, 2020, uh, playoff predictor said the ducks had the eighth highest chance to make the college football playoff and the best chance of any Pac-12 team. It's 14%, a 14% chance that they'd said earlier that the Ducks would have to make the college football playoff. The other Pac-12 teams listed with a chance were Washington at 4%, UCLA, and Utah at 1%. Uh, according to them, Auburn has a, has a 7% chance of making the college football playoff. So, so before we dive into all of this, let's take a look at the game-by-games as well. Uh, like I just said, ESPN giving no win probability for the Oregon Auburn game. Just such an even matchup with any number 10 and number nine preseason teams going up against each other. Uh to start off their cupcake season, Nevada, their preseason. I, this is what I like to call starting out their preseason outside of the Auburn game. Oregon usually having a lot of easy opponents in the past few years. So I like to call that their preseason before the Pac-12. So Nevada starting off their preseason, quote unquote, is a 97% win probability for Oregon for that game from ESPN. Montana, about the same, a 97% win probability for Oregon against Stanford. And this is at Stanford on the road. ESPN doesn't really think Oregon's gonna have too much trouble. A two-thirds chance, you're just over that, 67.6% chance that they win that game. Cal, October 5th. They think Oregon will handle them at home pretty easily. 90% chance that they're gonna win that one. Colorado, that's a Friday night game. They think that'll be an easy one for Oregon, a 92% chance. At Washington, October 19th, that's going to be a tough one. ESPN says Oregon only has a 51.9% chance against the Washington Huskies on the road, so that is going to be a toss-up for the Ducks. Washington State at home, ESPN says about an 80% win probability on October 26th. At USC, and see, I wholeheartedly disagree with this one. At USC, ESPN says Oregon's win probability is only 60%. I think that is crazy. Arizona, the next, uh, actually after a bye week, this is November 16th. Arizona, they say Oregon has an 88% chance to beat them. At Arizona State on November 23rd, Oregon has a 67% chance to beat them. And of course, wrapping up the season, Oregon State at home for the Civil War. ESPN says they have about a 95% chance because, well, sorry, I know I love Jonathan Smith and what the Beavers are doing right now, but they're not so good. So yeah, Oregon probably going to handle them at the end of the year. Although you can't ever count them out, the Civil War has been crazy in years past with mediocre teams beating out good teams. So vice versa on both sides, it's happened either way. So we really could see something Oregon State and Oregon come the end of the year. So, really breaking all this down, I mean, you notice a trend for road games with Oregon. ESPN isn't confident outside of the Stanford game that they can win in tough environments. And I don't really think the Stanford crowd makes it that tough of an environment. I've actually been in the stands there watching Oregon play as a visitor. And yeah, they're not very intimidating as home fans at Stanford. So so their chances on the road go down quite a bit. But does a team that has the potential to be that terrible on the road really belong in the top 10? Really ask yourself that, Duck fans. I get it. These are only computers and projections. Hell, the same FPI for last season said Oregon would beat Wasu and Arizona on the road. And I think we all know how that turned out. That was a fun one watching Justin Herbert really fail a couple of different times last season. So this isn't a perfect science. I get that. But I really think these early predictions speak to the fact that it's going to be a tough guess regarding what Oregon's going to do in 2019. They have the pieces to be a perfect team. But according to ESPN, they only have about 8-1 to odds to get to the playoff. You can accuse me of drinking the Kool-Aid, sure, but I truly believe... This could be one of the best Oregon football teams of all time. They've got so much depth. The young kids like Michael Wright, Micah Pittman, Kayvon Thibodeau, really coming in looking to make an impact this year. An impact on a team returning 10 starters on offense, seven on defense. Is there anyone out there that truly thinks that Oregon can't go undefeated this year? Seriously, ask yourself that question. Is there anybody out there that does not believe Oregon has the ability to win out? I would call you crazy if you say you don't think so. All of this, of course, hinges on one thing. Their opener against Auburn. If they lose, they're basically playing for a Pac-12 championship and nothing more. Maybe a bid to the Rose Bowl. Maybe. If they win going to set them up with a spot in the college football playoff. If they can win out and take care of business along with maybe even vaulting up a chance for a team like Washington out of the Pac-12. 12, that is absolutely a dream scenario though. I doubt two pac 12 teams will ever be in the playoff at the same time. Just got to say that as a disclaimer, please. I'm not crazy, but if Oregon can convince the nation that they are serious with a win over Auburn to start the season out, that they're ready to play immediately. You've heard me say it a ton about the Ducks, but I will say it again. The sky is the limit, and they will be playing for a college football championship. Also, some more projections. Athlon has released its bowl projections for 2019. They disappointed me. They don't even think Oregon will win the Pac-12. Hell, no, they handed that honor to the Washington Huskies. They put Oregon playing in the Pac-12's third-place tie-in bowl, the Holiday Bowl, against Iowa. Woohoo! Athlon really went against the grain. Uh, all other major predictions from like sporting news, college football news, ESPN, pin the Ducks as Pac-12 champs, and getting that automatic bid to the Rose Bowl. So there you go, Duck fans. That is the roundup of the national conversation surrounding your favorite team. I think they can be a bit better than predicted, but I will admit I'm a lifelong Duck fan who's so crazy about Joey Harrington So I'm sure a lot of people are ready to call me out. Call me nuts. Let me throw the question out to you, though. Will the Ducks go to the college football playoff this season? Yes or no? Will they get there? Will they be one of the top four teams at the end of the year? Yes or no? Hit me up on Twitter on the air, Jordan, with an O with an answer. It's good enough. I'll read it and respond to it on the next edition of the weekly Webfoot review. There was one more bit of football news that I wanted to get to before this week in Ducks history. And it regards the Oregon uniforms. That's right. You know, the unis, uh, they hold a special place in my heart and they are a special part of Oregon's rise to the status that they have now. Really a groundbreaking accessory as well in all of college football. No team anywhere, anywhere. None of them had a bunch of uniforms, of different choices, different combinations, hundreds of different combinations until Oregon did it first with Nike's backing. They haven't always been perfect. Remember those unis during Dennis Dixon's time at Oregon? They were accented with the steel grates. Oh, those were ugly and awful. I-, I hated those. So they always haven't been perfect. But if this story came up at that point, I might get on board. <laughs> so a Duck fan has started a petition online at change.org. The goal of this petition is started by Oregon duck lover, Cameron Keller is to get the team to change their primary uniforms back to the 1994 throwback design. Now I know you're just listening. So you got to kind of come up with a visual. If you forgot what it looks like, they were bright yellow pants with that lighter Kelly green Jersey and the older style duck logo on the bright yellow helmet. They wore blast back in 2014, and the uniform itself is, of course, famous because it's what the team was wearing when Kenny Wheaton returned an interception from Washington's Damon Heward for that touchdown to seal the win, the very famous pick, the pick, all right? That's the uniform that Kenny Wheaton was wearing for the pick. Cameron has been on Twitter trying to get fellow fans to sign this petition. Now, well, I like where this fan's heart is at. I absolutely hate The idea. I love and I mean absolutely love the jerseys that Oregon wore last season. The block around their names, that brick with their names like in the color of the jersey with the shades of the green and yellow that they're using, the black accents on the numbers. They look so slick. I was obsessed with how they looked. I had to go get myself a Justin Herbert jersey. Then I also, when I saw the Air Jordan style jerseys, the specials for one week, I had to get that one. If you if you missed those, they were the black Air Jordan style jersey. They had uh, the ones that were sold to the public, had the number 23 with the green outline on the letters. Those designs were on point from Nike. And I probably dropped 300 bucks in paying for just uniforms for Oregon football this year. Yeah, you got me. Good job. The Oregon football program still sets that tone nationwide too. If you regress and go back to wearing something with more of a classic look like all the time, that would undo all the gains Oregon has made towards looking cool. Sounds cheesy, I know, but these kids want to play on Saturdays while looking cool. I'll admit, it's the only reason I wore four armbands. It was overkill. All right? I, I, I wanted to look cool when I played football, and I looked terrible. I looked like a tool. But that's how young people are thinking. They want to look slick out there. How awesome will I look making tackles or catching passes? Maybe I don't like the lighter colors either. I mean, I already hate the yellow that they wear. It's just too bright. So Ducks fan Cameron wants to go back to all bright colors by going yellow and light green. I just don't like it. I think a move back to classic jerseys like that would hurt the value of the brand that they have worked so hard to build. If they go back to anything, they should go back to those classic uniforms that Joey Harrington and the team wore when they beat Colorado in the Fiesta Bowl in 2002, and they got gypped out of that national championship bid. Those colors with that font, just the simple yellow O with that deep green were sick. And those uniforms were the first one that the Ducks wore after that ugly, bright green and yellow. So I'm sorry, Cameron, there is nothing wrong with what Oregon wears right now. They all look like freaking studs when they take the field. And I wish I could have worn a uniform that cool when I played. And if anything, go back to that deep green. Just forget that that bright yellow and bright green ever existed looked great on Kenny Wheaton when he scored and he took that ball back to the end zone for the pick. And well, that's about it. The pallets back then were a little bit different than the pallets they have now. So we don't need to see that again, a lot cooler options around and I want to see those on the field. And with all those designers that Oregon has at their disposal, they've got so many better ideas going forward that you just don't have to worry about those old, ugly colors. I just don't ever want to see Oregon wearing bright pastel yellow or green ever again. All right, the annual list of inductees into the University of Oregon's Athletics Hall of Fame has been released. We're going to take a look at who's in this year for my favorite part of the show, this week in Ducks history. That's next on the weekly Webfoot Review. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you for SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. This is the weekly Webfoot review from SP Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you. Hit me up on Twitter, on the air, Jordan, with an O. Find the podcast, episode 10 of the podcast. This is, by the way, find us on iTunes and Spotify. Please give us a five-star rating. Helps those algorithms out. Give us a five-star rating if you like the show. So a lot going on this week on the show, and a lot going on regarding past ducks in the last month as well actually so much going on regarding drafts and whatnot it kind of pushed this news back a little bit for me so i wanted to take a look this week and highlight the oregon ducks hall of fame class for 2019 in this week in ducks history it was announced in june and the list is star studded to be sure the oregon athletics hall of fame actually started back in 1992 Eligibility requires that former athletes, coaches, administrators, and teams associated with the school's intercollegiate athletic success must have departed the university a minimum of 10 years earlier. So you basically have to be a former coach, former athlete, administrator, kind of anything associated with the team's success, and you have to have been gone from the university for 10 years. So there are a total of six inductions for this year. Big name heading the list, former Oregon football coach Mike Bellotti. Next up, Olympic distance runner Galen Rupp. Olympic thrower Rachel Yurkovich, she threw javelin. Also recently retired NFL offensive lineman Max Unger. Along with the individuals on the list, a couple of teams as well going into the Hall of Fame. The 1989 Oregon softball team the program's first to compete in the women's college world series and the 2007 and 08 national championship men's cross country teams to round out the list. So what a year because, you know, Mike Belotti who did so much for this program is going into the Oregon hall of fame. He of course took over for rich Brooks back in 1995 after being hired as offensive coordinator in 1989. He took the program to places it had never been before during his 14-year career that featured only one that's right only one losing season. Finished off his coaching career with a 116 and 55 overall record and a 72 and 43 record against Pac-12 opponents. Finished up in 2008, the Ducks beat Oklahoma State in the Holiday Bowl to capture the program's fourth 10-win season. That's crazy. Also, Mike Bellotti hired Chip Kelly to lead the offense as offensive coordinator in 07, setting up the groundwork to get him to take over after Bellotti went to be athletic director, spent nine months as athletic director in Eugene, and before resigning, just before resigning, actually fired Ernie Kent, His basketball coach actually handled quite a bit of disciplinary issues. Uh, The Jeremiah Masoli robbery happened during Mike Pilotti's tenure as athletic director LeGarrette Blunt, Some of his disciplinary issues happened during that time as well. So Mike Pilotti really had a busy nine months as athletic director at the University of Oregon, of course, left to go be an ESPN analyst. And that happened for quite a bit, kind of does that every once in a while now but really cool to just take a look back and see Oregon honoring just the turning point coach for their programs. Football. I it's, it's unbelievable to think where they would be without Mike Belotti. He was Oregon football for 15 years. And looking back as a kid, that name was synonymous with a football program because of him doing so well, even after rich Brooks, and he even had a couple of chances to get close to a national championship really got jipped out of one in Joey Harrington's senior season. But what a career that Mike Pilati had at the university of Oregon. Fun to look back on it. Next up on the list in the Oregon hall of fame this year is Galen Rupp, an Oregon native from central Catholic high school. He's best known for winning the silver medal in the 10,000 meters of the 2012 London Olympics. He is still the American record holder in the 10,000 meters. That's pretty cool. And while at Oregon from 2005 until 09, he won six national championships for cross country in indoor and outdoor. Like Rupp, Rachel Yurkovich was also in the 2012 London Olympics. She was one of three American javelin throwers that year, placed 13th, did not qualify for the finals. But I don't think any Oregon thrower has gone further in any Olympic games than Yurkovich at Oregon. She also was there from 05 to 09. She was a national champion in the event at uh, both 08 and 09. Next up on the list is one of, for me, Oregon's more memorable football players, three-time pro bowler, Max Unger. Actually, one of Oregon's most accomplished alumni ever played 10 seasons for the Seattle Seahawks and the New Orleans Saints 2009 until 2018. He was with the team when they won the Super Bowl in 2013 back at Oregon from 05 to 08 under Mike Bellotti, where he was a two time first team All-Pac-10 pick, also an AP All-American senior in 2008. Yeah. I still remember how great Max Unger was on the offensive line for Oregon. So congrats to him as well. And what a list of former ducks going in. They're going to be inducted as part of the school's athletics showcase at the hall of fame banquet this year, Friday, October 25th, before introducing them publicly during the next football game that is against Washington state that next day. So grab your tickets against Wazoo if you want to see Mike Belotti and company, Duck fans. It's going to be a very cool and nostalgic weekend. That's going to do it for episode 10 of the weekly Webfoot Review. Thanks to all of you Duck fans that listen to the program. Please tell your friends about it. If you enjoy it, once again, you can find the podcast on Spotify and iTunes. Just search for the weekly Webfoot Review or Addicted to Quack. Be sure to check back for next week for episode 11. We are going to start the extended look at all of the Ducks Pac-12 opponents for the upcoming football season. That's right. That's going to begin next week. We're going to kick it off with their first two conference opponents, Stanford and Cal. So a lot coming up on the weekly Webfoot review about Ducks football. As we get into August, the podcast is mostly going to focus on Ducks football until we get closer to the start of basketball season. So just wanted to throw that disclaimer out there. Thanks again for listening, Duck fans. Be sure to give the show a five-star rating on iTunes if you enjoy. This has been episode 10 of the weekly Webfoot review. I'm Jordan Schultz, and I'll talk to you next week. Go Ducks! The Weekly Webfoot Review. The podcast.